Well, what a special privilege it is to be here tonight. I look forward to our time together. I've been here three or four times in the past, but 34, 35 years ago, I came to Clay's Mill Baptist Church, and there were about 55 or 60 people in the Sunday morning service. And a lot of water has gone under the bridge since then. And it's just a thrill to see how the Lord has worked gradually, slowly over the years. Now, uh, somebody asked me, uh, do you know Jeff Fugit? I said, yes. They said, how do you know him? I said, well, I was having a supper with his mom and dad down in Hazard, Kentucky. And there was a little boy running around there. And I patted him on the head and said, boy, if you don't behave, you're going to get yourself a whooping. <laughs> it was Jeff. <laughs> so uh, we have been friends a long time, and I, I'm old enough to be great-grandpa, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I hit the 90 mark, I had a prayer meeting, and I said, Lord, I don't know if you'd be interested or not, but you've blessed me for 70 years, and uh, I am so thrilled with the privilege of what opportunity you've given me to work and serve you. And if you're interested, I'll give you 10 more years. <laughs> And he just seemed to say to me, okay, buddy, I'm going to take you up on that. And I've got two years under my belt and only got eight to go. So I am delighted with the privilege of being able to preach anywhere and especially here tonight. Now, after I made that deal with the Lord, uh, I don't have an income. And uh, I had put some money away in, a, uh, in an annuity years ago for my children's inheritance. And when I hit the 90 mark, just about... Ten days after I made my 10-year deal with the Lord, I got a call from those people, and they said, you've got to start drawing that out. You can't leave it here any longer, and we can give it to you all now, or we can send it to you by the year or by six months or a quarter, whatever. And we have this special plan, and we could send it to you every month for 30 years. <laughs> I said, well, I don't think that'll work. And they said, well, well, how about a 20-year deal? No, I said, that won't work. They said, well, we got this special deal for 10 years. We can send you a check every month. And so 10 days after I told the Lord I'll serve you 10 more years, he gave me a 10-year salary every month, <laughs> sufficient for every need that I've got. Well, I, uh, I left um, uh, Louisville in 1991 and went out to Tennessee. Now, I didn't know what I was getting into. But uh, I saw this boy walking along the road, and I stopped. He only had one shoe on. And I stopped and said, son, did you uh, lose your shoe? Oh, no, he said, I found one. <laughs> and one, one of our boys went driving down through Alabama, and a cop stopped him and said, boy, you got any ID? He said, about what? <laughs> Oh, so it's fun to live in Tennessee. Open your Bible tonight, if you will, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, and uh, let's look at verse 20. Ephesians 3.20. I was meditating about two weeks ago, and I ran across a word that really grabbed my heart. Now, those of us who've been at this for a long time, it's not real easy to grab my heart. I've been there and done that and got the T-shirt. Somebody says, do you know that preacher? I said, yes, sir, I know him. Have you ever preached? Yeah, I, I preached at that church. <laughs> I don't wait <laughs> for them to tell me where because I've been everywhere and done everything. And uh, 
Uh, so it's hard to motivate and stir people like me, but I got a hold of the word exedi, and I started chasing that through the Bible, and I just got my soul blessed. And I want to read verse 20 of chapter 3, and then make a statement and get into the message. Now unto him, and the him is God, now unto God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think according to the power that worketh in us. Now, the Bible says that God is all in all. That means he's total holy, absolutely, completely at peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction. And he has this special level of being the highest point that it is possible to get to. No human being can ever get to that point until we get our glorified body, and then we'll all be there. Now, we need to understand, and I'm sure you do, that uh, everybody is at a different spiritual level. The Bible says that when a person is not saved, they have zero understanding of spiritual matters. Nicodemus was a genius in every area of his life, except the spiritual area. And when Jesus talked to him about going to heaven, he said, unless you get born again, you won't be able to see. You won't be able to understand. It won't make any sense to you. It won't add up. And Nicodemus said, I, I don't get it. I've I got to get back in my mother's body and be born. And Jesus said, you're thinking flesh, and I'm talking spiritual, and you just don't get it. Now, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man, the unsaved, receiveth not the things of God, but the Spirit of God reveals them. They are spiritually discerned or understood. Now, as soon as we get saved, we think that's it. Boy, now we can float on cloud nine and walk on rose petals, and this is just going to be great. And uh, if you enjoy your first love like I do, I look back and think about that, and I thought I was there, and I realized I was only 3 or 4% spiritual. And I was still 96, 97%. I still was losing my temper. I was still using bad language. I still had lustful feelings. And I still got angry. And I was still selfish and greedy and had all kinds of problems. But I was saved and on my way to heaven. And uh, I understood that 1 Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, the word of God, that you might grow thereby. And I began to grow. And the fellow who led me to Christ on the assembly line at General Motors in Wilmington, Delaware, back in 1950, explained to me that now that you're saved, you need to do this and this and this and this. And he counseled with me for about six weeks on the assembly line, and I grew to 25 or 30, 40 percent of spirituality. I really, really made some progress. I learned how to throw away some habits, and I got in church and got baptized and began to study the Bible. And, and then I went to Bible college, and I came up to about 50%, maybe 55% in Bible college. By the time I got out, I was at least 50, 55%. How'd you like to have a preacher that's 55% spiritual and 45% carnal? Uh, I took a church, and uh, we were, I was all wrapped up and zealous and excited. I had been working as a full-time soul winner for Dr. Lee Robertson. And I got up and down the back road and started winning people. And our church started growing. And we had a lady in there that didn't want that. And she began to work uh, to counteract everything that we were doing. And she gathered up some people and tried to get rid of me. 
And I got off in the corner, and I was sobbing and weeping and saying, Lord, I, I quit my job, I sold my house, and I went to Bible college, and now I'm here, I'm giving my life to you, and that woman is just messing it all up. Lord, kill her, kill her, Lord. <laughs> How'd you like to have your preacher praying that about you? <laughs> I found 1 Corinthians 2.16, there is a sin unto death, but I do not say ye shall pray for it. Oh, boy, I realized I wasn't supposed to pray that, and I've never prayed it since. Now, but I've been growing. Now, I've been at this for 72 years now, and I don't know what my level is. Uh, I thank the Lord that I'm not 50%. I, I'm up there at a place where I can cope and handle, and I can take it. You can say anything you want to, and you're not going to hurt my feelings, and you can do all kinds of things to me. I've learned how to get along after all these years. But I'm not there yet. Now, everybody here in this auditorium is at a different level. And one preacher said, you ought to get more than I say. And that means that what I say, you ought to be able to apply it to some situation that you're having or that you're experiencing that nobody else is going through. And you're the only one who's going to get that particular thought. Somebody else is going to have some other area. And the sermon will uh, be applied in 100 or 200, 500 different ways according to your experiences. And you will respond, respond and react according to your spiritual level. Now, we probably have some people here that are 10% spiritual. And that means you're 90% carnal and worldly and secular and humanistic. Charles Darwin and Karl Marx and, and all of those uh, secular teachers, we have people that are 20% and you're 80% carnal. But we have some 30% that are 70 and 40 that are 60 and 50 that are 50 and 60 that are 40 and 70 that are 30. If you have courage enough to really be honest and evaluate yourself, then you can determine what level you're in and that will determine how well you're going to be able to love and understand and enjoy your Bible. Instead of doing it because I'm supposed to, I made a commitment I'll read through the Bible this year, i got to read my Bible. No, no, we get to read our Bible. We love it, and if you love it, it's because your spiritual level is high. Now, if you enjoy your praying, if it's not duty and responsibility, it's because of the level of your spirituality. Whether you can win anybody to Christ or not is determined by the level of your spirituality. And on and on you could go with every area of work that the Lord has given us to do. Now, it tells us in the Bible that God is at the top of the pole. He is 100% holy. And he says in Hebrews chapter 6, thus... Put aside, he said, all of the things like repentance and faith and the subjects of baptism and all that, and he na that names a whole lot of the things that all of us are working at in our church responsibilities, in our relationships, and he says then, and go on unto perfection. He says, I want you to be where I am. God is holy, he says, for I am holy and I want you to be holy. That means I want you to be perfect, and I expect you to work toward perfection. Now, nobody's there yet, and nobody will be there until we get our glorified bodies. The scripture says that the rapture, the Lord is going to allow this uh, 
corruptible body to be made incorrupt. He's going to make this mortal body will be made immortality. This earthly tabernacle will be dissolved, and we will get a glorified body. And the Bible says at that point, we will be like Jesus. Now, in the, uh, in, in the New Testament, also in the book of Ephesians, I think it's chapter 2, that teaches us that the Lord has uh, said by predestination and foreordination, he is going to accomplish that in us. Now, the faster we cooperate with him and the more we grow and mature, the more we're going to benefit. The happier we're going to be, the easier it's going to be to cope with problems and heartaches and situations, circumstances, and all the things that happen to us Christian people. And the better we're going to enjoy the Bible, the better we're going to understand the Bible, the more we're going to holler amen and praise the Lord, and the more everything. Now, the Lord is working on it. He says, and I'm going to get you there. Now, when you get there, the Scripture says immediately you're going to become an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. The Scripture actually says we're going to be equal to Jesus. Now, in light of that, the Scripture teaches us that there are certain things that are exceeding or so far up above our head that we cannot grasp it. When the Apostle Paul was killed, I believe he died at, at uh, uh, Lystra, and when the other uh, disciples went out there to get his body and bury him, he got up and brushed himself off and walked away with him, completely healed. Fourteen years later, he said, I knew a man, I don't know if he's in the body or out of the body, but he went up to the third heaven and he saw things not lawful for him to explain to us. He said, I wish I could tell you what I saw, but there are no adjectives, no verbs, no terms, there are no sentences, nothing that I can relate to that would help you understand what I saw. That's because we are not far enough there yet. But when we get there, we're going to know what he was talking about and we'll see things that, in fact, the scripture says in First, uh, uh, first Corinthians chapter 2, and it quotes Isaiah, that I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor either had it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. So there's some exciting things happening and going to happen up there, and we're working toward that. And the Lord said, now when you get there, you're going to be able to enter in and enjoy it and understand it in your glorified body. Now, I want to divide what I'm going to say. Concerning this word exceeding, the Lord does everything in a big way, and he doesn't exaggerate. You see, he is the top of love. He, God is love, the Bible says. And the scripture teaches that the fruit of the Spirit, when a person is completely filled with the Spirit, according to 518 of Ephesians, as soon as a person understands the filling of the Spirit, he is going to have the attribute of love. Because God is love. That's a God attribute. And the scripture teaches that he will also have love, then joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, the nine fruit of the Spirit. Bible teachers teach us that actually there's only one fruit of the Spirit. It's love, and it is manifest in the other eight fruit. And I like the thought of that. Because I have God in his proper place, I will have joy and peace and satisfaction and contentment and all the things that I need to function with in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and is satisfying to me and is a benefit and a blessing to everybody that I have contact with. Now, the Bible divides this all up in four things, and I'll try to keep it brief. The exceeding sinfulness of sin. 
there's a statement. I'll read it to you in a moment. Second, there is the exceeding riches of his grace. And thirdly, there is the uh, exceeding greatness of his power and then the exceeding weight of his glory. Now, we have to understand from God's viewpoint, when he looks down and sees us in all of the conflicts and in all of the various areas of problems, the Bible says that it's a real problem to the Lord because he has a lot of negative things to say about it. In Romans 7:12, wherefore the law, the Ten Commandments, is holy. Now, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and he said, Moses, I'm going to give you four of them on this tablet. There'll be six on this side. These four will all relate to God. Have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven images to God. Don't take God's name in vain, and don't take God's day for yourself. That's God. Over on the other side, God's not even mentioned. Over there, it's people. Honor your father and your mother, and don't kill people. Don't commit adultery with people. Don't steal from people. Don't lie to people, and don't covet what belongs to other people. When the lawyer in Matthew 22, 27, and 29 uh, said to Jesus, which is the greatest of those Ten Commandments? Jesus said, well, the first one is love God with all your heart, your body, your soul, your mind, and your strength. He said, and the second one is like unto it or of equal value, love your neighbor as yourself, period. What about the other eight? He said, on these two, hang all the teachings of the law and the prophets. Amen. Summarizing the whole Old Testament. New Testament had not been written. He says the whole message of God is get into a right relationship to God and with the equipment that you get from that relationship, now you will be able to cope and handle and adjust and get along with your neighbor in all those areas in which you have to do. And he says, now I'm going to give you this law and this law will help you to understand what sin is. Paul said, I wouldn't know sin if it hadn't been for the law. So the Lord gave us a law so we'll be able to understand what's right. Instead of I think or I believe or here's the way I look at it, this is the way they taught me, that's humanism. That's basic Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and Karl Marx and Charles Darwin and all of those other seculars. Now that verse goes on to say, the commandment is holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid but sin, that it might appear sin, that we might be able to understand what sin is, that we might be able to know that that is wrong and that is harmful and that will hurt us. In order we might know, it works death in us. That which is good and that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. He says our problem is we don't look at sin as wrong enough. And the problem is that we treat it too easy. We do not become an enemy to it. We condone it. We put up with it. We make excuses for it. We allow it to come in and crowd us out. And he says this is because Satan is to blame for all this because he rebelled against God. He brought his rebellion to the Garden of Eden and contaminated Eve and then Adam and then passed it along. And by one man's sin entered into the world, and now death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So now the uh, old-time theologians divided sin up into seven deadly sins. They labeled them pride and greed and wrath and lust and covetousness and gluttony and slothfulness. If you had time to do a study on those seven words, you'd find that all other sins 
are channeled through one of these. These are the seven basic structural uh, understandings of what sin is. And uh, it shows up in these areas, and in those different areas, it goes off into various roads so that there are hundreds of different sins. When the Lord gave the law of Ten Commandments, the Jews came along and made 600-plus more laws to go along to try to cover all these different kinds of sins. But they kept it simple. Now, the Bible explains, too, that the Lord gave Moses the law as a mirror, not a ladder. I talk to people who want to go to heaven, and they're trying to go to heaven by don't do this and don't do that and do this and do that. And they're trying to climb up the ladder of the Ten Commandments. But the Bible teaches us that uh, the Ten Commandments is not a ladder, it's a mirror. And it talks about when we look into the mirror of the Word of God, we see our sinfulness and understand what sin is. And as a result, we begin to realize that we're in a bad way and we need to get something done about it. Now, when Jesus uh, talks about this, uh, he said, now, in the law, when God gave the law to Moses, he said, thou shalt not kill. But I'm going to reinterpret that for you. If you have any kind of anger or any kind of upset frustration toward anyone, you are already a murderer. Really? Yeah, an inward thought is as bad as the outward act according to Jesus. Okay, and thou shalt not commit adultery, the law says. And Jesus said, if you just lust after the opposite, you are an adulterer. And the law says, but I say, and the law says, and he broke down the Ten Commandments from the outward aggressive act to the inward thought. And then when James wrote his epistle, James 2.10, he said, anybody who keeps all ten of the laws, outwardly and even inwardly, and yet breaks one point, he is guilty of all. The law, every bit of it. Now think about the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Just one bad feeling, one little lustful feeling, or one little anger, or one loss of my control, and I've broken the whole law. That is exceeding sinful. And I need to understand, that's what Jesus said. And so he wants me to understand that sin is bad, and it's wrong. And wicked, and he says, uh, that's so far from being totally holy and totally righteous and totally pure. The Bible says that when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And then when that gets through, it brings forth death. It just goes right from bad to worse. Now, we have original sins, and then we have also outward sins. You see, when we're born, we're born with a sinful nature, it's called sin. David said, in sin singular, did my mother conceive me. I was born in shape and in iniquity. The Bible says, by one man, sin singular entered into the world and death by sin. And the wages of sin is death. That's original. Now, we believers, when we get saved, Jesus comes in, we don't have to worry about sin any longer. It was nailed to the cross, and it's paid for. The death, burial, and resurrection covers it all. We'll cover that under the grace point. But the scripture says that we believers have two kinds of sins, sins of omission and sins of commission. Omission from the word omit. I leave undone my devotion, my prayer, my, my Bible study. I leave undone my church attendance. I leave undone my responsibilities. And as a result, I get weak 
and uh, I began to get carnal and fleshly, and I began to commit sins of commission. I commit, I start thinking wrong thoughts, I start feeling wrong feelings, I start saying wrong things, and desiring wrong things and going wrong places and doing wrong things, and I fall away from my relationship to God. Now, we believers are struggling constantly, as the Apostle Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't end up doing, and the things I wouldn't do, I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Well, I understand what he was saying. I'm sure you do, too. And so this is the difference in the sin. And, and the Scripture says that I need to understand that sin is exceedingly bad and dirty. Now, what uh, Jesus said about it, the within sins are exactly the same as the outward sins. And then when Paul wrote about it, Paul said, there is an exceeding sinfulness of sin. And he said in Romans 1.29 that these people, the Gentiles in the days of Paul, were filled. Now, he didn't say they were just once in a while, but they were full of unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murders, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers and backbiters, haters of God and despiteful and proud and boasters, inventors of evil things and disobedience of parents and without understanding and covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable and unmerciful. And he lists 22 outward sins here in Romans 129. He said, you Gentiles, that's your problem, and that's what God is trying to tell you that he hates. And then the, 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 the Jews with their religious garb and all of their procedures and all of their activities were kind of smiling. And then Paul in Romans chapter 2 says, and you Jews are exactly the same. You're doing the same thing they are. And, and then in chapter 3 he says, both Jews and Gentiles, all are sinners, and the wages of your sin is eternal death. And so he's really laying it out, trying to help them understand that their enemy is sin. Now, exceeding, terrible, gross, wicked, ungodly, unrighteous, unclean, and vile, and unseemingly and indecent, and just as rotten as it can go, and I have got to somehow build up in my spiritual understanding that it is really a bad, bad thing to allow a little, little sin, any kind of sin, it's a terrible thing. I'm so far away from the holiness of God. And I need to understand that God is working to get me there. And he has predestined and foreordained that I'm going to get there one way or another. Now, he may send a whole lot of chastening. He may allow a lot of schooling and a lot of experience. But he is going to get me there. And I may have to go through a lot of schooling and a lot of training. And I could, uh, if I cooperate with him, he'll speed it up for me. And he'll help me in a tremendous way. Now, in, uh, if we had time to go to the book of Isaiah in chapter 1, Isaiah is telling the people that God spoke to him and told him how awful and terrible and corrupt uh, they were because they had disobeyed the law. And he was spelling out for them the same thing that Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 2. And so he's just saying the, the result of all of this in the life of the lost sinners out there has resulted in socialism, communism, secularism, family, anti-family, anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-prayer, anti-patriotism, all of which guarantees perilous times to come. We see the result of it. Now, we believers are not supposed to be a part of that. 
Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. We've got a different philosophy. And we are growing and maturing. And he says, I want you to speed it up. I, I, I want to get closer to me. I want more fellowship with you. And I don't want you to level off with this little habit or this little problem or that little thing or that little question about the, uh, what the Bible says and so forth. Now, to counteract that, the Lord says, I want you to know about my exceeding grace, the riches. It's not just grace, but he said, I have the riches. Now, when God uses the term, the riches of his grace, and then puts exceeding in front of the exceeding riches. Listen to Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, now he's rich in a lot of other things too, but he is rich in mercy, he has plenty of it. For his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Uh, you see, the Lord wants to put us on display. He would like for us here in this life to be on display. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. But uh, when we get to heaven, the Bible says that he's going, to, he's going to have us on display. And he may take around and say, you see Tom Wallace there? He used to do this, this, he used to be, but, but, but he accepted my gift of eternal life, my grace. And he turned into a preacher and he's helped thousands of people go to heaven. And he's done real well for me. Now, he had a few problems, but I got him through a lot of them, and now here he is. And there he is. I'm going to show. And he's making a, a trophy of us, according to that, and he's going to show the exceeding riches of his grace in our testimony for eternity. That's the whole purpose of this thing. Now, God's grace is a special gift. He says, now, you don't have to do anything to get this. You don't have to join the church, and you don't have to get baptized. You don't have to quit lying or stealing. You don't have to start doing anything good. You just have to understand that I died and was buried and rose again and that I have for you a gift of God, eternal life. I had a fellow in my church in Louisville by the name of Jesse Poindexter. He came out of the Hatfield-McCoy areas of Kentucky. And his wife, Shirley, uh, they moved over to Louisville. And he was just a solid gold kind of a guy. I love the fellow. And... Uh, he, he was just one of the good men in our church. And he walked up to me on a Sunday night after church. And he said, Preacher, stick out your hand. And I took out my hand and he slapped the key in it. And I said, Boy, thank you for that key, Jesse. Was it open? He said, That key opens that brand new double wide trailer that I just moved in on Lake Cumberland down on the Tennessee border. And he said, uh, Out front, he said, It's right on one of those beautiful coves. And right in the front of it is a big canopy with a beautiful fiberglass bass boat. He said a lot of fishing equipment on the boat. And he said inside is a freezer and it's filled with venison from a couple buck deers I killed. And it's got a whole lot of trout right off the spillway of the dam. And he said, preacher, that key will open it and you, you just let that be. It's yours. You can have it anytime you want it, any time of year, any time, day or night. You take your wife and go down there if you want to take guests. It's yours. <laughs> I said, well, thank I put that key in my pocket. It was a gift. And I, I just, man, I just rejoiced. Now, in 10 years, 
I was able to get loose two nights. <laughs> That's it. I just had so much schedule, I just couldn't get down there. But I, I had that key, and I felt so good about it. Boy, I just take that key, I think, man, I've got that beautiful double-wide trailer down there and that bass boat and all that, you know. <laughs> and one day I thought about, man, that's just chicken feed. Listen, I have the grace of God. Amen. I mean, he has given me the free gift. Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father above. And he's given it to me, and I got it, boy, if I appreciate it. And I ought to use it a little more than two, uh, two times out of ten years. You see, we need to take advantage of it. And so he has the exceeding riches of his grace. And then there is the exceeding rich greatness of his power. In order to bring this about, it took the power of God to bring it into effect. He saw that exceeding sinfulness of sin. He said, I'm going to do something about that. And he applied his exceeding grace, and it took exceeding power to bring it to pass. Ephesians 1.19 teaches us, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe recorded to his, according to his mighty power? That's great power. And it took the power of God to make this happen. Ephesians 3.20 we've already used. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think or imagine. According to the power that worketh in us. Jeremiah said that the message of the word of God is like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Yeah. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, <clears throat> piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Amen. It's wonderful to watch the power of God work. Now, instead of saying, uh, here's what I think and here's what I believe, we need to say this, this is what the Bible teaches. I was working in a booth at uh, one of the fairs down in Lebanon, Kentucky. People were coming and going, and I would go up and hang around that table and pull somebody out and sit them down, win them to the Lord. And uh, on my 89th birthday, I was able to win 89 to the Lord. <laughs> I mean, I had, I had the greatest day of my life. But I was... I was working here, come this real sharp-looking guy. Man, he was just, just a real handsome young guy, and I thought he was probably in his mid-20s, but he turned out to be a teenager. He was like 16 or 17 years old. And they walked up, and, and I said, uh, hey, buddy, what's your name? And he said, Sam. I said, Sam, my name is Tom Wallace, and, and we're signing people up to go to heaven. You ever signed up to go to heaven, Sam? He said, I don't think so. I said, uh, listen, would you let me explain to you? And he was kind of polite about it. I said, look, number one, we're all sinners. And number two, we're going to go to hell when we die. And number three, Jesus died for us. And I gave him the verses and read them to him. And then it says, whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. And I said, now, Sam, what I'd like to do, I'd like to pray. And I'd like to invite Jesus into your heart. And then I'll help you pray. And uh, you can pray, dear Lord, if you're not in my heart, please come in. And if my name's not in the book, please come in and save my soul. He stopped me and he said, now, holy preacher, I just don't believe that. I said, come on, Sam, you can't be serious. No, he said, I don't. I just don't believe that stuff. I said, are you an unbeliever? Yeah, he said, I guess that's what I am, an unbeliever. I said, well, Sam, let me tell you something. Listen carefully to this. In Revelation 21.8, it says, but the fearful 
and the unbelieving. That's you, Sam? Yeah, that's me. Okay. The fearful, the unbelieving, and the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and the sorcerers, and the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire forever and ever. I said, how that sound to you, Sam? You're an unbeliever. You're going to be thrown in the lake of fire right along with whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and liars and all them people. <laughs> Sam said, I-, I believe I will pray with you, preacher. <laughs> I watched the hammer of the word of God crack his skull. (laughs) Now, he'd heard some philosophy, but I gave him some scripture. I gave him the sword or the hammer. And so the exceeding greatness of his power. And then thank the Lord for the exceeding eternal weight of glory. Now, this is where it's all going. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction... All of the problems and circumstances and situations and all the confusion and and all the struggles that we're going, our our light affliction, which is for a moment, life is a vapor that appears a little time and then vanishes away. It just happens a little moment. It works for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. I like the sound of that. We are working toward entering into our glorified body and we're going to enjoy the eternal weight of glory. In Ephesians 1.18 it says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. The scripture says as we look into the mirror of the word of God and when we do we see God in there instead of ourselves. And it reflects God back to us. And the Bible says we are becoming more like God every time we read or meditate therein day and night. And it makes us more and more and more like God with love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness. And now the scripture also says, Behold we with open face, beholding in a glass or a mirror, the glory of the Lord. When we look in there and see the glory of the Lord, the scripture says we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. I start picking up on it and my glory begins to glow and grow as I see God's glory. As we meditate therein, as we study and pray and wait before the Lord, we are just a little bit more like him, a little bit more like him, and we're increasing our spiritual level, and the higher we get in the level, the more we're going to enjoy the benefits. Now part of our problem is that if I ask how many of people have peace, we'd ever want to stick our hands up. But if I said, how many people here tonight can be real truthful and you have peace that passeth all understanding? I'd be real slow to put my hand up on that. How about joy? Anybody have joy here? Does anybody know anything about joy unspeakable and full of glory? What kind of joy is that? I don't know. There are no terms to describe it. I just can't explain how I felt. I was just so wonderful. Okay? And you could go through all the attributes of God like that. And it says something about love, and it talks about the fact that the love of God is absolutely outside of our understanding. It passes knowledge, the scripture says, the love of God. And he says, look, I want you to get to the place where you, you understand love, and you know what unspeakable joy, and you know what peace. And, and Isaiah talked about, thou will keep him in perfect peace. Anybody here got perfect peace? I'm not going to put my hand up on that. 
perfect peace? Yeah, complete, holy peace. That's the Lord said. That's available. Now here, let me wrap it all up by saying, when the Lord comes into me and starts to process kindergarten, grade school, junior high, senior high, and on into graduation, into college and postgraduate work, and he brings me along, and the more he brings me along, the easier it is for me to cope and handle and adjust, and the happier I am, and the more I see, and the better I feel about the whole thing. And then the more I understand the Bible, the easier it is to win somebody to the Lord, the easier, the, the more I see my prayers answered. First thing you know, we see supernatural coming into our natural actions and reactions. And when the supernatural is there and we sense God is doing this, it just gives us something that almost all Christians never, never know about. Now, now here is the important part. The Bible says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? And Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand knock at the door. If any man hear my voice, open the door. I, Jesus, will come in. You mean I have God in me, and I have the Spirit of God in me, and I have Christ in The whole Trinity is in me? Yes. And if you're saved, the Trinity is in you. And you have potential galore. He says, if you'll just allow the spiritual part of you to respond to truth through preaching, praying, and studying, and meditating, turn him loose and let him supernaturally work through you. Let your light so shine that they might glorify your Father in heaven because he's the one doing it. And if I understand, if I'll give him the liberty, I will be able to have those qualities of supernatural action taking place from my life. That's available. Now, it's not very uh, likely, but it sure is available to any saint. And I need to get hold of it and realize that the Lord has something exceeding for me. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to stay with you day and night until I understand some more about it because I'm getting ready to go up there pretty soon. <laughs> and I want, I, want, I, want, I want to say, uh, you were doing pretty good, Tom. Now, you, 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 didn't, you, didn't, uh, you didn't get there, but you were doing pretty good along the way. And I want you to pat me on the back and shake my hand. <laughs> and I'm sure you do, too. Let's pray together. With their heads bowed and their eyes closed, and let the preacher come.